The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, if you are a guest, thank you for, for, for stopping by, stopping in. I don't know if you just Google church to worship. Somebody invited you, uh, but thank you. And we have people that'll be lingering around service out in the hallway. It's a connection table. So if you want to hear more about the church, get plugged in, uh, feel free to stop someone, stop me, Richard, plenty of people around here, right? But um, I I want to express my gratitude uh, for the church, uh, particularly around last week, when I got ordained and installed, appreciate y'all's support. I appreciate the love and the prayers. Um, my family, thank you. <clears throat> my family definitely felt and, and, and seen uh, the support and the love in a tangible way. So thank you. But I solicit your continual prayers. Um, My wife and I, Ebony, my family, we look forward to growing deeper in our relationship with one another, as well as our relationship with God, as we seek to serve the city of Memphis together. So uh, I appreciate y'all. So today we will continue in our series entitled The Light of the World, studying the gospel according to John. And as our brother Dan, you already read the passage in John chapter three. It's, It's interesting, we look back so the previous sermons that we've listened to, uh, you will see a common theme. You'll see Jesus' love is demonstrated. His, his power is demonstrated. His relevancy as well. And as we dive more deeply into our scripture today, nothing is different from those themes. And so uh, before we move forward, let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless the hearing and the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for preserving your word so that we may know you, know things about you and know what you require us to do, how we ought to live in a way that's pleasing to you. So, Father, would you remove the distractions? Would you uh, ignite our hearts, God, to receive your eternal word, to see you, to worship you, and to be transformed? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Feeling helpless can be scary at times. In 1925, in the summer of 1925, a lady and her friends were out sailing in a boat on the Mississippi River. And they were doing what friends do. They were enjoying each other's company. And suddenly, they came across a strong wind current that tossed them from the boat. And the riverbank, it it seemed impossibly far to reach, and there was nothing around them to grab hold of. And one lady, she frantically kicked, and she was wailing her arms, trying to find her way. And as she continuously frantically kicked and and wailed her arms, that muddy Mississippi River begins to fill her throat. And out of nowhere, a muscle arm thrust into the water and gripped the woman by her hair and awkwardly yanked her inside the boat. The woman laying on her back, she looks up and see this black river worker by the name of Tom Lee. And as history would have it, Tom Lee actually pulled many people out the Mississippi River. 
And if you're familiar with Memphis, that's where we get our uh, historical park, Tom Lee Park. But can you imagine being that woman or, or being that person that had to be yanked out of the river because you couldn't find your way, you couldn't, you couldn't swim, it was, it was too much for you to bear? This wasn't a time for this woman or any other person to try really hard to try to save themselves. No, this, this wasn't a time to, for them to suggest ways, Tom Lee, hey, maybe don't yank me so hard. <laughs> this is a time to surrender, to be saved. And there's so many parallels in this story with our relationship with Christ. You see, in a spiritual sense, we've all were born into a muddy river of sin. And contrary to what you believe, we can't save ourselves from our broken selves. We can't save ourselves from the consequences that we're due from a just, a holy God. We need help. We need a Savior. In our text this morning, in John chapter 3, we read about a late night conversation Jesus has with this clueless, helpless Pharisee named Nicodemus. And just last week, Wayne walked us through the latter half of chapter 2, and we know that Jesus just didn't entrust himself to everybody. He knew the hearts of man. But this conversation, it was different. See, Jesus actually saw Nicodemus' helpless state. He knew that Nicodemus needed to be saved, and there was nothing that he could do with it himself. And, and, and the, the, the gist of this conversation, Jesus shares some good news. Jesus shares the best news. And this news is, is so transformative that we have to grab hold of it. But this news has to, ha it has to grab hold of us before we can grab hold of it. And I want to submit to you a main idea for this morning. We don't have our projector, so I'm going to do a, a, my best job to try to paint some of these words. But I want to submit to us this main idea this morning, which is in love, Christ gave his life so that we could have life in him. In love, Christ gave his life so that we could have life in him. And as we unpack this, I want us to see first how life begins in him. Secondly, I want us to see how life is accomplished in him. And third, I want us to see how, how does his life or what does this life motivate us to do? How are we to live differently? First, we see in verses 1 through 8 that life in Christ, it begins with a renewed heart. Let's go back to the setting of Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, very respectful. He gives him compliments. He said, man, the things that you're doing, <laughs> I hear you. You're, you're, this is not the literal translation. This is Ortez's translation. Y'all looking at y'all Bibles like, wait a minute, bro. This ain't. But basically, he's saying the things that you're doing, we, we hear it. Like, you have a gift. God has to be with you. But, but who is this Nicodemus? John gives some descriptions, and I would imagine if he had a social media account, his bio would read a, a Pharisee graduate of Moses Divinity Theological Seminary, scholarly teacher. In other words, this man was serious about his religion. He was devoted. 
He had the PhD, the, the MDiv, the THM, all the degrees Mike has, so he working towards Mike Davis and Michael Rose. Um, but this man, Nicodemus, he had power. He had influence over the Jews, a president or, or a CEO. But even with all his religious knowledge, even with all his influence, he was still lacking something essential. And Jesus wasn't there to exchange compliments. He wasn't there to debate pharisaical or religious philosophies. Jesus cut right to the chase. He'd tell him, truly, truly, unless you are born again, he cannot experience the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born again. Born again. Does that, that phrase sound familiar? It, it, it definitely has its presence throughout years in evangelical spaces with the emphasis on evangelism and seeing people become born again Christians. And I will argue with many, born again Christians is an oxymoron because if you're born again, you're already a Christian. Anyway, that's a whole nother sermon for another day. But unfortunately, this theological concept has taken on an unhealthy life of itself and has become more about the, I'm sorry, the outward activity than the inward, especially in the West. When you hear being born again, it, it's become equated to political camps, conservative, Republicans. Of course, all conservatives and Republicans are Christians. In the West, it, it become equated to geographical location. Hey, them people down south, hey, they some serious Christians. Up north, west, mm, I don't know. Good church attendance, people who don't curse, who don't drink, who don't listen to rap music. All these different things have, have become outward focused and man-centered. And when we do this, when we buy into this, this lie, it becomes a burden to others who, who we trying to share Christ with. Because what if they don't fit into those perfect boxes? Not only that, when we do this, it creates more distance between us and God. Because in reality, we can't measure up to our own standard. And not only that, if it was only based on our standards, to be Christian, to have a relationship with God, we will all be canceled in a sense. Nicodemus, the religious leader and scholar, he didn't have a right understanding of what this meant. His frame of reference was physical rebirth. He said, wait a minute, okay, you say be born again, so that means I got to go find my mama, and I got to get back into her womb. I'm not going, you know, we're not going to go into detail, but, but he, he literally like, wait a minute, how? I got to go back into my mother's womb a second time to be reborn? But Jesus wants us to learn that we don't have the necessary resources within us or outside of us to make this happen. We don't have the resources to, to clean up what needs to be cleaned up. We don't have the resources to make right what needs to be made right. The problem is too deep. Horror movies and TV shows, they're, they're not my favorite. Um, if I'm on Netflix, I'm not, you know, filtering what, you know, what's the, the best horror uh, TV shows and movies. But I like some time to time, you know, depending on the story plot. But maybe it's the pastor in me that draws me to, 
these horror movies. It's not the blood or the gore and things of that nature, but it's zombies. I was talking to my kids the other day. I was driving. I said, hey, I know what a zombie is. And they just kind of blurting stuff out. But it's, it's interesting, though. Zombies are like Walking Dead. I mean, they even made a series, uh, The Walking Dead. Zombies are these creatures that just kind of roam about. Okay, like this. This is my zombie walk. Uh, they just kind of roam about looking to consume, looking to feed their flesh at the expense of someone else. Zombies are ugly. They're disgusting. Don't Google zombies. <laughs> Spiritually and inwardly, we're like zombies. We're, we're ugly on the inside apart from Christ. You could be the most educated, the most wealthy, the most attractive, outgoing personality, the most confident, and apart from Christ, you can still be dead and ugly on the inside. I know this is not a, a compliment. <laughs> this, this doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies that you was probably looking for. But it's the reality of who we are apart from Jesus, that our hearts are hostile to God. We, we reject with a, with a strong arm and a, and a stiff neck his goodness, his mercy, his justice. And if we have any chance of being changed inwardly, we must look to Jesus. Verses 5 through 6, Jesus breaks it down for us. He say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Or other translate, he cannot experience the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Here it is, brothers and sisters, don't miss this. If you're dozing off, wake up. Jesus is emphasizing the work of the spirit that changes us inwardly. Unless God washes us from the inside, we have no hope of being born again. This is why it's important to have a healthy Biblical and theological understanding of baptism. See, baptism, it, the, the water, it doesn't save us. You could be dipped in water, go in dry, come out wet. <laughs> That's not going to convert you. But the water, it, it symbolizes something inward, something spiritual. The cleansing of God's blood, of Christ's blood inside of us. And not only that, it's a promise that is sealed because Christ already done the work. This whole idea of being born again, it's throughout the whole Bible. We look in the Old Testament, just one, one reference in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. Chapter 11, verse 19 through 20. Hear this. Hear, hear the person who has the dominant role of this work. This is what Ezekiel, God says through Ezekiel. He says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Notice, God, I will 
give them a heart and a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. I will be their God. God does the work on our hearts. And he enables us. He blesses us with the gift of repentance. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that repentance is an actual gift from God? Because it, it takes a changed heart to genuinely repent. I know repentance can sound like a churchy word. <laughs> repentance has been watered down. But repentance is not, oh man, I got, I got caught. <laughs> so I feel guilty. So let me go and and beg God for forgiveness and mercy. Repentance is not this transactional exchange that we have with God. How many of y'all, not you have to raise your hand, but I know. How many of y'all been there? God, I promise I won't do fill in the blank if you get me out of this. I clean myself up. I go to church. I, I do my chores. I be loving to my little brother and my little sister. Whoever. God, just, just, just get me out of that. If you get me out of this, then I'll do this for you. That ain't repentance. The late Pastor Charles Spurgeon, he gives his definition of repentance. He says, repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin. A mourning that we have committed it. A resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man or woman love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. Brothers and sisters, is there evidence of your life? Progressive, not perfection, but progressive evidence. A general pattern of a lifestyle of repentance. And if it's not, there are some questions that should be going on in your mind. Because if God's spirit lives inside of you, you will hate the things God hates and love the things God loves. But the question we have to be honest with, is who will you continue to trust to attempt to change your life? Would you resort to just behavior modifications, make a couple of resolutions, I'm gonna try really hard, or you could surrender and say, God, you do the work. You do what only you can do inside of me, and that bears fruit outside of me. Life begins with a renewed heart. Secondly, we learn in our text that life is accomplished. Life in Christ is accomplished through his redemptive work in verses 9 through 18, if you still have your copy of God's word open. You see, Nicodemus, the great teacher, he, he's the ruler of the Jews. He listened to Jesus breaking his spiritual new birth down, and he is amazed. He responds, how can these things be? How is this even possible? And the simple answer is God made a way Christ. And Jesus explains the best news in John chapter 3, verse 16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16 is actually the, uh, one of the two most quoted verses, especially in the New Testament. 
I mean, we look around, especially in the South, the Bible Belt. You see John 3.16 on billboards, bumper stickers, T-shirts, hats, uh, athletes or writing it on their sleeve. Uh, Tim Tebow, we were just talking about Tim Tebow in the office not too long ago. If you remember Tim Tebow, uh, athlete, uh, former football player and baseball player, but guys like him were writing on their face paint. And so they was communicating the message to the world. Nine times out of 10, I would say most people, Christian or non-Christian, probably heard of uh, John 3.16. But as much as this verse is familiar, as much as this verse is quoted, I still think we underestimate the power in this verse, the freedom in this verse, and the, the, the redemptive power in this verse. God so loved the world. God loves all people. And if you think about Nicodemus hearing this, he's a Jew. So culturally, let's, let's put this in context. A Jew hearing God so loved the world, was like, wait a minute. I thought God's love was specifically for the Jewish people. No, God's love is for all people, nations, tribes, tongues. Let's put it in present time. For the person who may be struggling to live paycheck to paycheck or the wealthy billionaire, all in between, whether you live in Orange Mound or Germantown, no matter what your background, God loves you. God has a love for the whole entire world. But what's love without action? I can tell my wife I, I love her all day long. But if it's not followed by action, do I really love my wife? God so loved the world that he would, church. He gave. He gave his one and only son to be the one to show us the heart of God, to be the one who will come and enter into the world of brokenness. In love, he gave his son to die for people who didn't even want him. Jesus died for a people who would murder him. An unjust death at that. That's some love I can't wrap my mind around. You may find yourself in a season right now, you're struggling to believe God's love. Because maybe God is withholding some things from you. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's a relationship. Fill in a blank. You say, God, can you really love me? that you were told? Friends, let me remind you that God so loved that he gave. And so we can trust that in love he withholds, but in love he gives. And if God didn't ever give us anything else but Jesus, boy, that would be enough. <laughs> Our brother Wayne Denny even preached on this. He, he mentioned sometimes God gives a feast but sometimes he take that feast away. God so loved that he gave. But the good news, it, it doesn't stop at John 3.16. A lot of us can quote John 3.16, but there's a failure to continue to read on to John 3.17. It says, Jesus came to save and not to condemn. His primary purpose was to save, not to condemn. Let that sink in. 
This holy and just God comes as a man to a fallen world of broken people like you and I. And the Bible teaches us that ever since Adam and Eve sinned, our great, 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 y'all get the picture, grandparents, ever since they sinned, we, we all were born inheriting their sins. So we stand condemned already. Jesus said, I'll be that solution. I'm coming in love. I see people, no matter what you look like on the outside, I see sheep that are harassed and helpless without a shepherd. And I'm coming to have compassion, not with my words, but with my actions to lay my life down. There was a trend that was floating around social media. You would see this hashtag on certain pictures or you hear certain stories called relationship goals. And I don't have to go into too much detail because y'all probably saw a picture or you probably commented yourself, hashtag relationship goals. And basically, it's when you see a cute couple, you know, maybe on a date or they, they did something for their significant other, and it's like, man, that's relationship goals. I want that. And here's a couple tweets I came across. One guy tweeted, I want to be with someone who admire me, even when I'm at my lowest point in life. Another person tweeted, to find a person that wants love, mutual respect, Caring and a stable foundation that's built on trust. They ain't mention nothing about Jesus or Christ. They just say, hey, this is a picture. But they don't have to mention anything about Christ because we will all probably will agree that these are some good things to admire in a healthy relationship. When we think about Christ, no matter if you're single, you're dating, you're in a relationship, you're married, divorced, or widow, this, this love, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a love that's completely set apart. This love is a love that's rooted in trust. This love, you don't have to doubt about betrayal. This love would never abuse physically, verbally, uh, uh, or anything of those nature. This love, it, 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 it was not just with words, not just with empty promises, but a promise that was fulfilled on the cross 2,000 years ago. It, it wasn't a cute picture. He endured some things to express his love for all those who will believe. Have you found his love? What is his love doing in your life? How does this love compare to some of the lesser loves? Life in Christ begins with a new heart. Life in Christ is established by his redemptive works. And lastly, I want us to see in our text that life in Christ, it motivates us to righteous living. Verses 19 through 21, Jesus makes a clear distinction between two kinds of people. One is the wicked person that loves darkness and the other person is the person that does, what, that does what is right, that loves the light. And this wicked person does not have a saving, intimate relationship with God. This, this wicked person is, is clear through their life. They're rejecting what he came to do. If they were drowning in that muddy water, they say, no, you know what? I'm good. However, there is a person of light. This person does what is right. 
This is only because their identity as a son or a daughter in the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith. And as a follower of Christ, we're, we're called to walk in the newness of life. If God has done a work in you, there's going to be evidence outside of you. And that's our calling. I remember seventh to eighth grade, and I love science. And I think it was because of my teacher, Ms. Rain. And the funny thing is, Ms. Rain is a friend of mine on Facebook, and she still liked the pictures of my family and things of that nature. So it's, it's real cool. But she grew my love for science. Do y'all remember um, the Lima bean uh, plant project, the germination? Do y'all remember that? Okay, cool. So you got this plastic bag, like a half sandwich bag, and uh, they give you this bean, and you got the paper towel. You got to wet the paper towel. I see Haley smile like, yeah, I know what you're talking about, brother. You got to wet the paper towel, right? And you put it on a window, and over time, you kind of check in. You make observations. You see a plant kind of sprouting out. I was like, man, that's pretty cool. I remember one time I took my plant home. I threw it in my book bag. Next thing you know, I forgot about the thing. Days go by, weeks go by. I can't find that thing nowhere. And eventually, <laughs> I'm going to my book bag. I say, wait a minute. Here it is. But the sad thing was, it didn't grow any. The process was, was hindered. You know why? There was an absence of light. And, and I like to think the Christian life is something like that llama bean. The, the germination process, the growth process happens in the light. The growth process happens when we, when we gather every week worshiping the Lord, singing songs, hearing the, the word preached, partaking in the Lord's Supper. That's where growth happens. Brothers and sisters, you may find yourself right now in an extended season of just unrepentant sin. Say, man, I grew up in the church. I know the verses. I know all the right answers, but sin is just, it's just kicking my butt right now. You may find yourself recently, you were, you were triggered by some past trauma that, that happened at, at someone else's selfishness, and you feel shame and guilt, so you withdraw yourself. You may find yourself just saying, man, I'm just not doing a great job as a Christian right now. I'd be a hypocrite to show up in community. I'd be a hypocrite to call another brother or sister and let them know. My plea is to come to the light. My plea is not on the basis just because you're a good person. My plea is on the basis that Christ has covered that. And whatever you may be believing, whatever lie you may be believing, let me remind you of Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there is now, presently, if you're in Christ, there is now no what? Condemnation. Come to the light. I don't know what that next step is. Maybe it's prayer. And I invite you as we, as we prepare to partake in the Lord's Supper, I invite you to come to the side and community group leaders, elders, deacons, your spouses, please find your way to the side. You can even get up now, community group leaders, elders, deacons, find your way to the side. And my plea is to take the next step to come to the light. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe 
brother, I just need, I just need prayer. I just need encouragement. Come. Don't walk out of those doors with the mindset, I'm going to just kind of go back in the dark and I'm going to withhold my presence from the body of Christ. I'm going to rob somebody the opportunity of entering into my pain, an opportunity to encourage. Come to the light. As we continue in our service, I also want to encourage you to give. As you see in your bulletin, there are several ways to give. Um, also, there's a box in the back. But we give because God gave. We give because God gave. Not just our money, but our lives as a whole. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love towards us in Christ. That you did. You did pull your hand into that muddy water of sin and you snatched us out. You resuscitated us. You gave us new life. You gave us a purpose worth living for, not just in this world, but beyond this world. So would you speak to your people right now? Would you point out those areas that may be unrepented and not fully surrendered to you? Cleanse us, oh God. Remind us as we partake in your supper, as we come to your table, what you have done to secure our hope, to secure our hope in you, to validate your love through the shedding of your blood and the giving of your body. We thank you for loving us. Because of that, we get to love you back in return. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. Thank you.